Hello and welcome back to How's the Water, our pretty occasional podcast about books. I'm joined as ever by Sienna. Merci Gary et bonjour tout le monde. Nous sommes vos podcasteurs des livres préférés, maintenant disponibles en français. Uh, that sounded very nice, but I'm confused. Why are you speaking French? Well, we are leaving the Brontes behind. We're finally leaving them behind, you might say, and moving on to a new series. And for the next four episodes, we are going to look at some 20th century European novels. And for our first novel, we are going to look at Perfume by Patrick Suskind. Et il a lieu en France. I think she means that this book is set in France. We oui. So where and when did you first read this book? Um, perfume. Well, I actually, I first heard of it probably when I was about 14, because when I was a teenager and I was a massive fan of um, Nirvana and apparently it was Kurt Cobain's favorite book. Um, so I probably heard about it when I was reading about Nirvana, like reading magazines and things like that. This was pre-Wikipedia, I should say. And Yes, you were a teenager a long, long time ago. Thank you. Th you. Thanks for reminding me. Yes, I was. Yes, <laughs> I remember the days before the internet and you had to get information from like magazines about bands that you liked, like Gross. all little bands. I I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm old and falling apart now. But Kurt Cobain said that it was his favourite book. I think there's an interview uh, that you can watch on YouTube, actually, where he said he read it about 10 times and that it was stationary in his pocket at all times. Now, mm -hmm. I don't know if that was an exaggeration or not. Um, that's what he said. And there's a song, a Nirvana song on In Utero called Scentless Apprentice, mm -hmm. which is about uh, perfume. And it's, um, yeah, it just basically kind of goes through bits of the novel. You know, and Scentless Apprentice refers to the protagonist of this book. Um, so that's when I first had heard of it, but I didn't read it until a few years later. So when I was about 20, um, somebody I knew quite well, an ex, had read it and recommended it to me, basically. So with those kind of double recommendations, my idol and uh, somebody that I was seeing, I then read it and I, mm -hmm. I really, really liked it and always had quite fond memories of reading it. And then I recommended, I think, that we did it as the first book for this series. So obviously I've reread it for this and enjoyed it just as much reading it for a second time. How about you? Had you heard of this book before? Nope, never. And that probably just speaks more to my lack of uh, knowledge than, than anything else. I didn't know that about the Kurt Cobain thing until you said that to me. So I had a look at that. Uh, that that uh, interview that he did is on YouTube now. So people can, you can go and see it. It's very close to the beginning of that interview that he did. And yeah. uh, I'm surprised. I was surprised when he mentioned that he'd read it like 10 times because then he regurgitated parts of the plot. And it seemed mm -hmm. like for someone who'd read it that much, he didn't actually know <laughs> quite what it was about. He kind of just said, it's about a guy who hates people and goes to a mountain to be alone. And I was like, well, that's not really actually accurate, but that does happen, I guess, which we'll get into. You can say what you like about my age, but you leave Kurt Cobain alone. Okay. All right. May, it, may he rest in peace. He, he was having a bad, he was having a bad time. <laughs> he didn't look like he was having much fun. He smoked about like a hundred cigarettes in that video. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, it's about, I think it's about six months before the end of that video. Uh, it's one of his last interviews. So I, yeah. I forgive him if he's a little bit confused. Mm. Yeah. All the things he was uh, up to at that time. Mm -hmm. we, we won't go into that because this isn't a Nirvana podcast, or it would probably go on for hours if I just kept talking about them. <laughs> well, and then you recommended this to me. You talked about it a few months ago as a good book to maybe do. And then um, I went and got it and read it. And that's why we're doing it now. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about your thoughts and feelings about the book. I mean, I've kind of declared myself quite early and say that I really, really loved it. But we'll maybe get into your views um, as we progress through our discussion. Is that OK with you? Yep, that's great. To begin with, as ever, we're going to do an author biography. It's going to be quite strange reading one of these without the word Bronte in, I think, <laughs> um, or Parsonage. I or am so sick of saying the word Bronte. <laughs> I don't mind if I never have to look or say that, look at or say that word again. 
that is not what we said at the end of the last episode. The end of the last episode, which is available today, I think we were like, oh, we're going to read some more. We, we're really into them now. Now now it comes out, the truth. You never want to hear I, the name again. Yeah, I will wait probably for a little while Yeah, yeah. before we get into I, anything else. But I'm happy to have a little pause from them, much as I still love them. Anyway, this author is not called Bronte and he's never lived in a parsonage as far as I know. So uh, the author of Perfume is Patrick Suskind or Suskind. And he was born in Ambach in Bavaria. Forgive my pronunciation now. In Southeast Germany. I've actually been to Bavaria. I've been to Munich. Have you ever been? Oh. Ever been to Bavaria? No, never. I've been to Berlin. Yeah, I mean, oh. Berlin's fantastic. It's one yeah, of my that's the only cities. place in Germany I've, I've ever been. Okay, yeah. I'd recommend Munich as well. It's really good. All the people look so kind of healthy and uh, attractive. <laughs> <laughs> you feel, I've never felt more ugly than when I was in the south of Germany. Everybody looks like they're having, you know, a great, healthy time and a healthy life. Patrick Suskind, who I'm sure also looks very healthy, being a Bavarian, was born on the 26th of March, 1949. He is descended from Johannes Borenze, who is a German theologian, a Protestant reformer, and also descended from Johann Albrecht Bengel, a Greek language scholar. Do you know either of those people? Have you heard of them? No. <laughs> no, me neither. I mean, I said their names there. The way I said their names, it's obvious that I had them. I think you did Just, a good job. Oh, the thank German you. Pronunciation. I'm going to butcher this. I didn't study any German at school. I'm not, I've never really been exposed to much German. So okay. I did a year of it. Yeah. When I was about 14. All right. It's time to dig um, deep for that. Yeah. I'll keep going. Here's some, there's some more coming up now. Suskind's father was Wilhelm Emanuel Suskind, a political editorial journalist who also translated works, including those of Herman Melville, into German. Uh, he is the co-author, this is his father, of a publication called Aus dem Wörterbuch des Unmenschen, <laughs> from the Dictionary of an Inhuman, I think, a critical collection of essays about the language of the Third Reich era. Oh, my God. Okay, I'd quite like to read that, actually. Uh, yeah. Sus Suskind studied medieval and modern history at the University of Munich and in Aude en Provence, which probably had an influence on perfume. However, Suskin didn't graduate. Instead, funded by his parents, he relocated to Paris and began to write. Oh, how much would I have loved to have done that rather than graduate? So he had his first success with the play Der Contrabass, which is the double bass in the mid 80s. Um, I'm so sorry. This is awful. My pronunciation of German. Forgive me, everybody. We do have someone who downloaded the podcast who is in Bavaria. We apologize to you very I'm much. I'm very sorry. Keep, so keep listening, sorry. please. Yeah. Um, he was also a screenwriter for television and wrote the screenplay Rossini, for which he won the screenplay prize of the German Department for Culture. Mm -hmm. uh, he has written The Pigeon, the, which is in 1998, The Story of Mr. Summer in 1991, Three Stories on Reflection in 1996, and a collection of essays called On Love and Death in 2006. However, his most famous novel is the novel which we will be looking at today, Perfume, the Story of a Murderer, written in 1985. Suskin has withdrawn from literary society and lives as a recluse, respect, very Salinger. Mm -hmm. And Thomas Pynchon as well. Yeah. Um, he lives as a recluse in both Munich and at Mont. Montelieu. Montelieu is a literary commune in southern France. Yeah, I'd love to go there. I read a little bit about it when I was researching the bio. Um, it looks great. I've, I would love to go there. Yes. Oh, it's also called the Village of Books. And it's basically book nerd paradise. There are 15 bookshops specializing in used and antiquarian books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really, really would love to go there. Yeah, Maybe when... Just... Uh, COVID times are finished. Maybe I'll maybe pay a little visit. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Nice little book nerd holiday, literary Definitely. holiday. That would be lovely. Um, might have to build an extension on my house after, uh, after <laughs> I go there to uh, fit all the books I'd bring back. And Patrick Suskind is still alive mm -hmm. at the moment. Okay, cool. Yeah, because that was a dumb question. He It says he lives as a recluse in Munich and Montreux. It's weird uh, doing a book by an author who's not dead. 
Yes, yeah. There'll be no crime crimes of Patrick Suskind or some. You know, we don't have to do that because he's still mm. alive. And yeah. yeah, it's funny what you said about being a, a recluse. I once watched a documentary on Stanley Kubrick, um, after, just after he died, and they talked to his daughter. He said, "Oh, he lived as a recluse, didn't he?" And she was like, "Well, what what people mean when they say that is he just didn't talk to the newspapers. You know, he still went mm-hmm. out and did stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm sure it's the same with Patrick Suskind. He's just living his life and probably just doesn't want to talk to people asking him sort of impertinent questions that he has uh, better things to do than answer. I would imagine. No, and I think it says he withdrawn from literary society, and mm-hmm. I completely understand that." if he was around the type of people that I assume he was around, which are just intellectuals and people like just so far up their own asses that they Mm -hmm. think everything that they do or say is really great. That's basically what Salinger did. He was just, he hated giving interviews and he hated pandering to people. Although I think Salinger was a bit up himself as well. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a different thing as well, because he basically stopped writing as well. Mm. Whereas Patrick Suskind has continued to write Mm -hmm. and uh, Thomas Pynchon as well. Yeah. He doesn't give interviews. And I think there's only one photo one public photo of thomas pynchon I think. wow i'm not if i'm not wrong i mean he still writes he just isn't interested in talking to people or showing his face all right should i get into the plot of the book and the characters as well yep let's start with part one of perfume a baby is born on july the 17th a very good date to be born on i should say july the 17th 1738 <laughs> To a woman working at a fish market, the woman who leaves her new baby to die is arrested immediately and executed. This woman is Gronwy's mother, Gronwy being the title character of the book. So his mother is described as being in her mid-20s. She's pretty because she has most of her teeth, some of her hair, and with the exception of gout, syphilis, and some consumption, she's relatively disease-free. Uh, She doesn't seem to have any mothering instinct, and she's expecting a stillbirth. She simply wants to get it over with. However, we don't get to know her as she's executed after his birth and within the first few pages of the novel, because she basically just abandons him and people see. Exactly. Yeah. So the baby, who, as we've said, is called Gramwi, quickly passes through the hands of his wet nurse, Jean, and a monk, Father Terrier, before ending up in a boarding house. Yeah, Jean Busset. Uh, mm-hmm. She's the first character to realize he has no smell. Gronwy has no smell. She is disturbed by him and quickly offloads him to this monk, Father Terrier. Uh, yeah, so Father Terrier at first thinks Gronwy is a cute baby and tries to <laughs> engage Jean in theological discussions in order to persuade her to keep him. However, this fails uh, and he quickly gives the baby up to Madame Gaillard, mainly because the baby disturbs him too when it wakes up. Yeah, he changes his tune like fast. <laughs> oh, very quickly, within like a, a few hours, I think. And doesn't he go home after he's done that and put himself in a dark room and like rock himself to sleep <laughs> or something in the corner because yeah. he's so like horrified and just wants to forget? Definitely. You really get the idea that this baby, it's only a baby is already like shaking people up and disturbing them. Yeah. Mm. Um, So he's given to Madame Gaillard. She's nearly 30 years old and she runs a boarding house for children and will take in any child as long as someone pays for them. She has no sense of smell as she was hit over the head by a poker during her youth. And this means that she is unaware of Gronwy having no scent. So she isn't disturbed by him like other people are. Her goal is to save up all of her money so she can afford to die at home. However, she loses all her money in dotage, meaning that she dies in the Hotel Dieu and is buried in a mass grave. And this is years after she has sold Gronwy to Grimmel, a tanner, which she does when he is still a child, because one day... Without notice or explanation, Father Terrier ceases to pay Gronwy's board. Mm-hmm. So now uh, Gronwy is with Grimel. Uh, Grimel is a tanner with whom Gronwy works from the age of eight. He drives his charges hard, so all the children and people working for him. But mm-hmm. as Gronwy works hard and doesn't complain, uh, Grimel comes to value him highly. 
Mm-hmm. At Grimmel's, uh, Granui, showing a tenacious survival instinct, thrives to, to a certain extent, as much as he can, earning time off as a valued member of the, the staff, I suppose we could say. He begins to travel into the city and experience the smells around him. Grand mm-hmm. we we learn has been born not only with no scent but with an incredible sense of smell he can identify scents even from great distances one day he discerns a different and indeed much more beautiful smell amongst the normal ones of the city he pursues this scent across the city and discovers that it comes from a young pubescent girl determined to keep and experience the smell for the longest possible time he strangles the girl and stays with her body, absorbing its scent. He's keen to learn more about perfumery, so Granui seeks out an apprenticeship with Baldini, a once great master who has fallen on bad times and is being outperformed by rival producers and is on the verge of selling his business and retiring uh, into Italy, I think. Yes, Uh, he has dreams for his future, much like Madame Gaillard. Giuseppe? How do you say that name? Giuseppe, I think. Giuseppe. Giuseppe Baldini. Uh, He is the novel's second most developed character, and Granui spends a lot of time with him. He's an old-fashioned perfumer. He has a shop located on the Pont au Change Bridge in Paris. He is a religious traditionalist who rejects new waves, both in the wider world, but particularly in the world of perfume. He is obsessed with developing scents, but he is aware that he has no special talent in this area. Of his two successes in his youth, so two perfumes that he's created that were very popular, one he inherited from his father, and he bought another one from a traveling salesman. In spite of this, he quickly recognizes Gronwy's talent and buys him from Grimmel the Tanner and then uses these talents to restore his reputation and his business. I'll say one last note on Grimmel the Tanner. When Baldini pays for Gronwy to be released from him, Grimmel uses this money to go on a massive but fatal bender wherein he drunkenly falls into the river and drowns. Yes, yes. A lot of the people he encounters uh, die eventually. Die, yeah, quite and that quickly. And that is the end of Grimmel the Tanner. Yeah, it is. He's all gone. Yes, no more Grimmel. Grimmel. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Granui now with Baldini impresses the perfumer by copying and improving on a rival's perfume by instinctively using his nose. Mm-hmm. Working together. Uh, Granui uses his abilities to help raise Baldini's reputation so that it exceeds his former heights. Baldini gains riches and fame in the process, but does not give Granui any credit for this publicly. Granui, in turn, learns to refine and formulate his skills. And finally, from Baldini, he learns that it is the town of Gros in the French Riviera, which is the heart of the craft of perfumery. Perfumery, sorry. After noting the formulas of almost 600 original scents that Granui produced in the time they worked together, Baldini allows his journeyman papers to travel on the condition that he never tell a soul about their arrangement and that he never return to Paris while Baldini is still alive, which uh, won't be a problem, as we will learn very quickly, because he leaves Baldini to head to grass and Baldini dies almost immediately when his house built on a bridge over the River Seine collapses into the river yeah okay and that is the end of part one it's quite long and a lot of yeah. you you go through a lot of people in that and most of those people who encounter Granui seem to meet a sticky end so do you think that he's cursed uh yes i do <laughs> i think there's something there's something about him there's something very kind of evil about him that almost drives everybody that he meets to a very very horrible and nasty death i think so yeah i think that there's that implication that he has like the touch of death about him yeah 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 Yeah. so uh yes i do in a way i think that's very heavily implied Mm -hmm. my question for you is there's a lot of descriptions here about 18th century uh, paris paris is obviously quite a glamorous city these days but reading how it was in the 18th century is it a place that you would like to have lived or visited No, no, not at all. I think it's interesting when you think about these glamorous old cities, 
you get this very romantic idea of them when the history of them is in fact not as great. The reality really isn't the, so you have the romantic side of it, but he describes that Patrick Susskind does such a good job with description. His prose is so good because it's easy to read, but it flows really well. And he describes Paris as a total shithole. It's like there's like shit in the street and people spitting everywhere and there's manure and everyone's sweaty and you can smell people's genitals and he it's like real stuff you don't think about but then yeah no wonder they were wearing perfume all the time and putting you know they only took a shower every six months or whenever you could afford to do it it wasn't and water wasn't even that clean so you were washing yourself with dirty gross infected water And also as a woman, I think time traveling to any other time just wouldn't be cool. If I could go for like 10 minutes and immediately come back, (laughs) I would do that. (laughs) But yeah, basically I'm fine here. I don't, I, I would much rather just read about it in a book than actually go. Mm. Those are my thoughts on that. They They all seem fair enough to me. I think I kind of agree with you. I mean, uh it's yeah it just seems like a smelly horrible disgusting place to be honest the way he describes it well he doesn't spend that much more time in paris after that and we're going to get into part two now to continue and find out where he goes are you ready i certainly am all right so grand louis leaves paris and he heads for grasse he feels liberated by being free of the smells see Mm -hmm. all the smells of paris he's liberated (laughs) because remember he can smell everything uh yes yeah but he enjoys it yes but he also realizes that the smell of society and of people just disgust him so he deliberately avoids them when he's walking along in the country he heads into the desolate Auvergne. yep i've uh i've been there actually cool was it is it nice yeah, it's, I remember it being nicer than it's described here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, he goes there and he comes to live in a cave in Plom du Cantal. Plom du Cantal. He survives by eating the vegetation of the area and drinking from a stream, which is, I think, described in the book as more him like licking residual like water from off a rock or something, mm. so, like, yeah. a, like a lizard. He spends most of his time indulging in the innermost empire of his smells that he has collected in his memory. He passes seven years in this way, in this cave, only deciding to leave when he realizes that he has no smell and therefore other people can't smell him. So he finally, it takes him seven years alone to come to this realization. Uh, Filthy and caveman-like, he finds his way to Montpellier, where he receives the patronage of... Marquis de la Taillade Espinas, who uses him to espouse his pseudoscientific theories about fluidal energies. Good. I think you pronounced that name very well, and I'm Thank about you. to try it myself now. So right. the Marquis de la Taillade Espinas. The Marquis is the Liege of Puerto, who uses Granui to help him demonstrate his pseudoscientific fluidal theory. This is advantageous for Granui because he be- he is sheltered by the Marquis and clothed, and he is also allowed the means to create more perfumes. Yeah, Granui successfully performs the role required of him here and begins to manufacture perfumes which alter how other people perceive him. He uses one of these in one of the Marquis' demonstrations to win over the crowd and therefore validate the Marquis' theories. He also makes perfumes which give him a normal human scent. His hatred of people grows as he realizes how easily they can be duped. Yeah. True. And then a little note on the Marquis, who, again, like most of the characters, disappears from the book here. After Granui quietly slips away, the Marquis disappears and is presumed dead while climbing an isolated mountain. Uh, That said, he and his theories are still venerated after his supposed death. Mm -hmm. Yeah, his his theories in this part of the book are they're so full of shit, but they are quite interesting. I think it's kind of basically a parody on the the rubbish that people can be persuaded to believe. What? Yeah, thank God that doesn't happen anymore. You don't see that in the world, do you? No, no, not at all. People are so sensible now in the 21st century. With with the internet, that's kind of killed all that off, hasn't it? 
So that is the end of part two. Um, it, it's mostly spent with Gronwy in isolation. It is. Uh, yeah. What do you think of the seven years that Gronwy spent in the cave on the mountain? I The thing the, I like about this book is, in a lot of books, it would be very easy to sort of depict this kind of seven years in a cave as like a spiritual retreat where he someone discovers themselves and formulates their personality. But that's just not what happens here. He's just there because he doesn't like other people, doesn't like society, and wants to just indulge his own kind of smell-based memories. Mm -hmm. So I really like it. It's kind of this sense of a very narcissistic person who doesn't need other people simply because he's just happy to indulge in himself. Yeah, I really liked it. It's very quite a cynical part of the book. Well, it's a very cynical book anyway, but yeah, I enjoyed this part a lot. Do you, um, as the novel progresses and in this part of the book, are you feeling any empathy for Grand Wee, our protagonist? No, not really. He, what I quite like about this book is that Gronwy is described, he isn't really described much as a person. He's described more as an insect than anything yeah. else, you know, like um, a spider that comes up a lot. He's like vermin that comes up a lot. When he's in his little cave, he's almost cocooned like a, uh, like a cicada or something underground. Mm. And you really don't get the sense that he likes the thought of being pitied anyway, or he doesn't particularly care. He's not, you almost wonder if he has any empathy or any ability to relate to other people. Do you know what I mean? Like he's yeah. almost yeah. like a shell he's missing. However, he's very smart. So he, um, it really highlights how intelligent he is in this part here where he knows the marquee is like, just espouting nonsense and he is like okay all i have to do is make a perfume that'll make people believe everything i say you know and then he can make a perfume that makes him smell like other people that's a very intelligent thing to figure out and then he goes oh, people are such idiots i can't believe and so you almost get the feeling that he's it's almost he's almost alien i don't feel bad for him he's also killed a person in the first part of the book as well so you know you can't forget that he's still a, a murderer yes he's, he doesn't have much empathy for other people it's safe to say isn't it mm -mm. Yeah. Nope. well let's move on shall we to part three grand we if we remember was heading to grass the center of uh perfumery oh, i would love to go there that's yeah my yes. dream vacation Okay, well, that's uh, maybe we can arrange that while I go to the, the book place. <laughs> Have okay. fun. It would be nice, yeah. Okay, so Ingras, he, he gains employment at the perfume shop of a widow, Madame Arnulfi. Mm -hmm. Madame Arnulfi, she's uh, about 30 years of age. She owns and runs the small perfume shop she inherited from her ex-husband. Not ex-husband, I think late husband would be more because yes. she's a widow. Uh, yeah, she's described as a woman of solid prosperity and sound business sense. She takes on Gronwy as a second journeyman as he is willing to work for low pay. Yeah, so working with her journeyman lover, an eventual husband named Duat, Duat, I think, a huge man of average intelligence. <laughs> uh, sounds a bit, a bit like me. Uh, Gronwy learns the art of scent extraction and preservation. One day he comes across an odor which enchants him even more than that of the young girl he murdered in Paris. This smell is of another young girl, Laura Ricci, who is the daughter of the town's wealthiest nobleman. And his name is Antoine Ritchie. And he's the second consul and the richest man in Grasse. He's a widower and the father of uh, Lore. I believe it's Lore. It's not Laura. Okay, sorry. That's my mistake. That? Uh, I it. Yeah. One of the, yeah, you did. He's vain and wants to advance his social status by marrying Lore off to a respectable family. He is also wary of the attention that his beautiful daughter is attracting from men. He is not above these feelings himself as he's developed lustful feelings towards her, which is a very creepy part of the book to read, yeah, if I'm honest. Yeah. On the other hand, he is a shrewd man, as we come to find out. But is this enough to stop Gronwy? 
Let's see. Gronwy decides to bide his time in Gress so as to develop the skills to preserve her scent with the goal of producing a perfume that will make anyone who smells him love him absolutely. He does this by learning from Duat and killing animals. He then begins killing local girls. He bludgeons 24 girls, stripping them of their clothes and cutting off their hair so as to preserve their scent. He does this without leaving a trace, befuddling police and the local population who are terrified of this serial killer amongst their midst. Mm -hmm. In their midst, sorry, in their midst. Um, the father of Loa, Uchi, realises that she must be the goal of this killing spree and decides to take her out of town to be hidden away until she is married off. But Granui, using his exceptional nose, follows them and kills her while they are staying at an inn. However, despite his care and attention, he's traced by the police and arrested. He seems unconcerned by this. He admits to the crime, but withstands torture and won't reveal his true mot motives. During his execution, or his scheduled execution, should I say, he puts just one drop of the perfume on himself that he has made from Laura Ritchie and the 24 virgins he murdered. This convinces the crowd of his innocence and they fawn over him. In fact, so overcome are they by adoration, they engage in a mass orgy and he's freed. Which was like, okay, this is in yeah. it now. <laughs> when I got yeah. to that, I was like, oh my God. And yeah. here we are, mass kinda orgy. Com kind of comes from nowhere, doesn't it? That bit? It really does. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a bit uh, highly descriptive. Mass orgy, yes, I must say. it is. Yes. <laughs> We're a family podcast, so I don't want to. Uh, Laura Ritchie's father even invites Granwy to stay at their home as his son because he feels this kind of familial uh, connection with him, probably because um, Granwy is wearing the perfume he's made from, the from his daughter who he has murdered. Uh -huh. However, this and the earlier events of the day only cause Granwy's contempt for humanity to increase. After Granwy is freed, Duat is arrested in his place and under torture, he confesses to the murders and is executed. Yeah, as we all know how easy it is to get people to confess to crimes they didn't commit under very stressful circumstances. We do, yes. Yeah, yeah. Patrick Suskin writing about it in 1985. He was indeed. Woke. <laughs> so how do you, what do you think of uh, how Gronwy escaped? Oh, it's fantastic. It I love amazing. this. I, I love this part of the book because you just kind of know that he has something up his sleeve. I didn't know that. I've, I was just thinking, OK, he's just going to be executed and he's not bothered and whatever. But yeah, okay. I was not expecting that. Yeah, I, I think it's great. I mean, the whole the way the whole book is about um, how we perceive people through smell and how this alters how we see them and how yeah. this can, we can be manipulated. And obviously this is the kind of... Um, greatest example of that within the book well maybe not maybe there's a bigger one to come in part four and i just think it's great how they all fawn all over him just because of how he smells i mean they don't see the true him he's kind of masked it and i also really 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 enjoy how this makes makes him just hate people even more because they're so easy to fool yeah yeah yeah, yeah. every the more he spends in the company of people the more that he uh, his contempt for people grows and I also, I like the idea that Gronwy realizes that he can wear different masks by using different smells. So essentially no one ever really gets to see the real him because the real him is disturbing and horrible, like we talked about in the first mm. part of the book. So by, he mentions making different perfumes so he can be like, okay, today I'm wearing a perfume. So I'm just a normal, regular person. Then he wants to be a little bit more noticeable or he wants somebody to do something for him. So he wears a perfume that make people more sympathetic to him or makes him seem like something pitiful. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. he can, yeah. he sort of decides how to manipulate people by wearing these masks of scent. Mm. And yeah. it's yeah. quite shrewd of him, I think. Yeah. And you're right that smell can really change how people perceive you. And smell is so powerful, probably more than we realize haven't they figured out that the brain uh, memories in the brain are really unlocked with certain smells? That's how powerful yeah, smell is. I think they have. Yeah. I may, may have read a little bit about that. That's quite, uh, it's, it's just fascinating things I've never really thought about before reading this. No, no, me neither. Yeah, quite interesting. 
And we'll come to find, as you said, the, the greatest example of what perfume can, can do to people or what scent can do to people in part four, which is very, very, very short. And it's basically just the end of the book. Shall I get into that? Yeah, please do. Yeah. Let's find out what happens to Granoui. Does he have a great time when he goes back to Paris? Well, so that's what exactly what happens. Now free, Granoui decides to return to Paris to die. I love this quote. <laughs> I thought he was going to go back to the mountain, but he wants to go back to Paris. Yeah. That was nice. As he travels there from the Auvergne, he reflects on the power that his perfume gives him and on how he could be feted as a new messiah by the king or by the pope. However, this thought fails to satisfy him because no one will understand the perfume he has. And as the perfume has no power over him, it's actually meaningless to him. He goes to a cemetery full of all sorts of riffraff and he mingles with these criminals before he pours the entire bottle of his perfume on himself. Remember the execution? He just used a drop and he got a mass orgy. Yeah. So what happens when he pours a, a whole bottle over himself? The uh, ne'er-do-wells in the cemetery are then irexorably drawn to him and desperate to possess Granoui. They tear his body apart and cannibalize him. Yep. So they eat yeah. him. So the criminals become ashamed and embarrassed by this once they've eaten him and no more scent is there. <laughs> and then yep. agree that they did this out of love. And love is ironically the last word of this dark, cynical, blackly comic novel. So it ends on a positive note. <laughs> oh, happy ending. Yeah. <laughs> happy Everyone ending agrees. Love is real. Yeah. 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 It's I, I really like that the that's the last word mm -hmm. of the book because it's it's ironic, obviously. Yeah, they did this out of love. Yeah, and they, they didn't. They did it because they'd been fooled by him. Yeah, well, and his ultimate goal all along was to create a perfume to make people love him because mm. he realizes how how horrible he is and how disturbing he is. And yeah. I mean, that's the only thing I could really say that I pity him for is that he, um, I think with most people who go on to commit atrocious, horrible crimes, they do it because they're, they are suffering mm. as people. So that's um, definitely something to think about. And then he's definitely successful in that end goal. He creates a perfume that makes people adore him and idolize him and revere him. He could take over the world if he wanted to, really. Yeah, but he'd rather be consumed by people in a, in a quite a sort of strange way, I think. It's almost like his last act of contempt, isn't it? Like, look what I can make you do to me. Yeah, imagine being those people for the rest of your life. Be like, yeah, what no, was that about? Yeah, a day what, what in the happened? cemetery? <laughs> <laughs> what, yeah, All what your happened? weird friends. You're like, what did that? Would you talk about it? Would you? I don't know. Would you talk about it? I don't know. I'd maybe just try and the next day just be like, whoa, what a, that was crazy, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What Wasn't happened he there? good? Yeah. yeah. What happened? <laughs> that, was, that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. See if anybody, you know, but uh, no. Who did you like the best out of the novel's characters? I mean, Granoui probably is that he's the one that you spend the most time. Or do you mean aside from him? No, including him, I think. Yeah, it's got to be him, I think. What about you? Yeah. yeah, the same, really. I mean, the novel's all about him. I think if you're not, you don't have to like him, but if you're not kind of fascinated uh, by him or don't find him compelling then you're not going to enjoy the book because he's there from birth to death isn't he uh, and a lot of the other characters aren't developed quite well not they're not developed nearly as much as he is they're yeah. very two-dimensional many of them i think yeah and i think that's that feels deliberate doesn't it in the mm -hmm. book it's they're like passengers like brief passengers in his life mm -hmm. you know, the only one that is developed is baldini I think it goes into him quite a lot, which is an interesting choice. But then it, again, as soon as Granwy leaves him, he's he's dead. Yeah, um, he's, like a lot he's of not important anymore. And he's out. Yeah. What did you think of the novel overall? Were you pleased with my uh, recommendation? Yeah, I loved it. It was great. Yeah. Exactly was my favorite things. You've got perfume, which is great, <laughs> and murder, which I, I 
quite like reading about. The only thing I would say is that it's called Perfume, the story of a murderer. And he murders that girl kind of in the beginning in part one. And then he doesn't do it again until part three. Mm. And then, I mean, not that I'm complaining about like, it's not, you don't even get to see. But the only two people you actually read about him killing are it's the first murder and the last murder. Yeah. And there are 24 other virgins in between that. And you only Mm -hmm. hear about them through the people in the town being uh, getting panicky about somebody wandering around killing their daughters. So that was a bit disappointing because I thought that it would be a little bit more like throughout the book which is a bit morbid okay. of me, but that's yeah. just me personally. But uh, yeah, overall, I thought it was great. So you were looking forward to all the killings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember being halfway through and thinking, like, okay, there's just been the one. Maybe yeah. he just kind of goes berserker for a minute. And he, got, I guess he did, but we just don't see it. It's a bit later Not on. Really? I think the idea is that maybe the murder is, when it says perfume, a story of the murderer is the the final murder he commits and the kind of the story of how he builds up to that and then mm-hmm. what, what he does afterwards as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could just see before, the, you know, the whole book before that is backstory. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, thank you for recommending it. No, you're welcome. I'm great. glad that you enjoyed it. Do you want to talk about the TV series? Oh, I yeah, we watched the TV series. Yeah. Um, did you manage to finish all of it? Yeah. And yeah. it was, well, it's in German, the TV series. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, okay, so it's like a cross between Perfume, The Secret mm-hmm. History by Donna Tartt, mm-hmm. and the um, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Yeah. The, the <laughs> movie. <laughs> to me, that's film. like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> With Freddie Prince Jr. And yeah, oh, don't they, um, they, do they kill someone in their car? Yeah, so in that movie, they kill somebody with the car and then they make a pact to never talk about it again. And then, I see. Yeah, and um, someone comes back and kills them all. Like, is it like a a guy in a yellow coat dressed as a fisherman? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so the series, it has a completely different modern storyline. So it's a completely different setting from the book. It's in Germany, it involves the murder of a girl in which a group of five of her school friends could be implicated. And the novel follows the investigation of the group, and it features some interesting characters. Um, The lead prosecutor and the lead investigator are having an affair, so it goes into that sometimes. Several of the police officers, there's a psychologist and a stripper, um, and a lot of like going back and forth with the narrative in the past with that group of five kids at boarding school and then they're grown up selves and they're all like, you shut up and don't talk about that. And it was yeah. just all very like, <sighs> and it kind of uncovers what they did at school and how yeah. it leads to how uh, these people are kind of being murdered now. Doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have to say I didn't, it got quite, it came out about 2018, I think the series, and I think it got quite well received, mm-hmm. but Personally, um, I didn't think a lot of it. I wasn't engaged in the story. I was kind of hoping it would somehow be like a modern version. I knew it was a contemporary setting, but I thought maybe it would just be a modern version of the novel or maybe the the novel from the point of view of people investigating the murders. But it's not even that, really. It's just it feels very cliched, a little bit forced and quite silly and you say that it's a cross between the secret history and i know what you did last summer now it's nowhere near as good as a secret history for me which is one of my favorite novels <laughs> no. and i don't think it's as good as i know what you did last summer maybe no. better than i still know what you did last summer the sequel um but it's yeah i just i think there's, there's like six episodes six or seven or five maybe five six or seven episodes by about halfway through episode three, I just lost interest. So by the end, I was sort of like, what's going on here? Who's this? Um, but I wasn't really motivated enough to go back and rewatch any of it. I just wanted it to stop. So those are my thoughts. Yeah, it was a bit. And they're making a second series out of it. Did you know that? I, I, didn't I don't know, know how. That. God knows how they're going to do that. But yeah, the basically part of the premise is the characters all know the novel and they had like a smelling club at the boarding school. Mm. And uh, episode three, each of them is asked 
what they think the novel is about. So they all summarize the novel in a sentence, which that's the only part that seems to be directly tied to the book. There are a couple other elements as well. But yeah, um, yeah, uh, um, quite a few famous German actors in it. If you are into German uh, television and German cinema, they're all, you know, there's a guy, I don't remember his name, but he was an Inglorious Bastards and he's been in a couple other things. And I recognized him straight away and he's pretty good. Yeah, he's the perfume, uh, isn't he? Perfumer, isn't it? Yeah, he's the one after school who kind of took it to as a profession i guess so yeah um, yeah. yeah not gonna watch it again but it was no. i felt like a very cultured person being like, well, you know reading the book that we're reading for another episode mm-hmm. and then having that on like oh i'm watching a german <laughs> series and ryan would come in and just be like oh you think you're so great because you've got all this cultured shit going on <laughs> yeah yeah it's not cultured if, he, if he'd watched any of it i don't I know i thought that yeah. No, 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 no. It was fun, but not interested in seeing it again. So No, me neither. Back to um, the novel, the much superior novel, <laughs> I would say. Um, should we do a fun question each? Sure. Yeah. Have you ever had to deal with someone who smells very bad? Uh, yes, I have. Uh, this is, uh, I'm not going to use any names here, but this is quite a... <laughs> Well, it's a personal story in a sense, but not not about me. So I worked for a while as a as a boss of some people in a place, and uh, one of the people who worked there had a little problem with body odor, shall we say? Now I'm not sure if it was body odor or he was using his bike to come into work, so maybe sweating a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, and then I. Not sure, but people who we were dealing with maybe complained a bit. Either that or my boss noticed the odour and asked me to have a word with him about it. So I was then in a position where I had to tell somebody that he had a a problem and that he needed to do something about it. Oh, yeah. How did that that go? um, He was embarrassed, to be honest with you. It wasn't nice having to do it, but when you you just kind of have to get it over with, and yeah, and he was just embarrassed. But you know, know when felt... you smell bad, if you smell enough to where other people can smell it, you can smell yourself. Well, yeah, I wonder. I wonder about that. I mean, there is sometimes I wonder. Do, maybe I ha- maybe I smell, but no one's ever told me. Um, but then I I married, and I I would hope that you know <laughs> that. I would get feedback at home if I smelt, hopefully, and that would help. He didn't live alone. Um, he, hmm. I believe he was in a relationship, but he, he'd obviously never been told. I don't know why that was. I mean, I wouldn't like to speculate. But I, ended, I just felt sorry for him, really. You know, things improved after that, if I remember correctly. Oh, great. What about you? Maybe Do you have a similar... Maybe he was using a natural deodorant. Yeah, or maybe Granui had made him a perfume. Oh. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry, you, you have a question for me. Uh, well, the same question. Have you ever had to do that? Um, no, but I have been in the same situation where I, I worked at a job and there was a colleague of mine who she was very natural and she had stopped wearing deodorant because of the aluminum, aluminum, mm. excuse me, that is in deodorants. And I guess natural deodorant, she didn't try either. She just basically said, oh, I'm not wearing anything anymore. I'm just going to, which is fine, except I think she had a very strong body odor. And I do remember she would come in and go back to where the employees would be and her smell would just follow her. And she'd been told by um, other like customers, other people who we would see and she would have to interact with they had complained to the manager the manager had told her several times that Mm. she had an unpleasant smell about her and she kept she was very um insistent that she was never going to wear deodorant so she just wouldn't give in to it and so she just went around and i think she got her hours cut and hours reduced because people just couldn't handle and they just said well all right you're you know if you can't you know part of are, you know what you're supposed to do is you come to work clean mm, yeah you know? you're meant to come to work and there's a standard of hygiene that you're supposed to adhere to 
And yeah. if you can't do that, they just said, well, we can't have you here. And that's a bit tricky because you have somebody just trying to do what they think is best for their body and their hygiene and mm. at the same time, unpleasant for other people. So that's, yeah. it was a tough one, but she was told and didn't do anything. So it wasn't like your story. Yeah. You would have <laughs> thought that you would, I could understand not went to, wanting to wear aluminium or aluminum <laughs> based uh, products but then maybe try and explore some alternatives not just my opinion do you think you could survive after seven years of solitude uh no i don't no. think so i'd like to think that i could survive for a little while in, yeah. by myself in solitude that would be fantastic but no, seven. You saw what happened to Tom Hanks in Casper. He, he was three years and he was like talking to a volleyball. And uh, yeah, I don't think I would well, do very well under those circumstances. So, yeah. no, Wilson. What about... <laughs> You'd have your own Wilson. <laughs> well, what about you? What do you think? No, I think seven years would be too long. I, well, you know, I have people that I care about, mm -hmm. so I would I would miss them too much, I think. I could spend seven years away from a lot of people, though, definitely. Totally. But maybe not everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could take seven days. Seven days sounds like a great time to be by mm. myself. But yeah, you just miss people too much. And yeah, I couldn't do that. I couldn't be alone for seven years, I think. You know, most people, regardless of how much you think you're great at being isolated and alone. I think we, most of us deep down really do need human connection to stay mentally healthy. Yeah, I think that's true. Some kind of, um, yeah, like you say, some kind of connection to other people, I think is, mm -hmm. is very important. Well, we're going to close out the episode with a quote that we think sums up quite a bit of the sentiment of the book. Do you want me to read that? Yes, please. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Okay. Granwy was terrified. What happens, he thought, if the scent, once I possess it, what happens if it runs out? It's not the same as it is in your memory, where all scents are indestructible. The real thing gets used up in the world. It's transient. And by the time it has been used up, the source I took from it will no longer exist. And I will be as naked as before, and will have to get along with surrogates just like before. No, it will be even worse than before. For in the meantime, I will have known it and possessed it, my own splendid scent, and I will not be able to forget it because I never forget a scent. And for the rest of my life, I will feed on it in my memory, just as I was feeding right now from the premonition of what I will possess. What do I need it for at all? That was very nice. Well, very well read. Thank you. Thank you. And that is the end of our episode on Perfume by Patrick Suskind. We hope everybody enjoyed it, that departure from the Brontes, the last time we can say that word <laughs> Yeah, for a maybe, while. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I hope uh, all of you out there really enjoyed that, us doing something different now. We will be back very soon with another uh, another European novel. Yeah, we hope you guys enjoy listening to that one as well. It's uh, again, something a bit different, but we hope you like it. So yeah. uh, thanks a lot for listening. It's goodbye yeah. from me. And it's goodbye from me. Thanks and see you soon. Au revoir. Au revoir.